0: I believe what the Lord wants to communicate to us is that when you read through the Old Testament scriptures, you read about the temple and the tabernacle, those are pictures of a reality of what God wants to work in us. Because after Jesus went to the cross and he died for our sins and redeemed us, his blood was spilt for us, and we've been born again because of that, Because of our faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ? The New Testament teaches us this, that now, because of that, we are the temple of God. Go back and look in the Old Testament. When did the fire of God fall? It was whenever the sacrifice was on the altar, right? God, His Spirit fell and consumed, like a fire, would consume that offering. What is it that keeps God from falling like an all-consuming fire? It's the lack of an offering. We, we no longer bring those sacrifices like they did in the Old Testament, but now we bring a living sacrifice. It's the sacrifice of our praise. Amen? And when we give that, the Lord will fall. There's a principle in the Word of God. It says that that he inhabits the praises of Israel. He inhabits the praises of his people. I believe that. Whenever we worship, we know that his presence comes. I believe that. There's a day coming when the presence of God will fall in this house. It will be so weighty that the ministers won't even be able to stand to minister. What we see in the Old Testament, I believe it happens today, I've seen it happen, I've, I've experienced that many, many times. I believe there's, it's what God wants to do. God wants to visit us. God wants to encounter us to encounter him. He wants his presence. I, I know what it is, many of us in this room know what it is to sense, to encounter, to feel a tangible, weighty presence of God, amen? And God revels in that. God glories in that. God delights in having communion with us in that way. You know what it takes? It takes people who are hungry, people who are willing to come in and say, I'm going to pour it all out. I'm going to lay it all on the altar today. I'm going to worship Jesus because he's worthy. Amen? It's coming, not because we've worked it up, not because we've hyped it up, but because we have prepared our hearts we bring the sacrifice of praise to the house and the Lord consumes it. Amen? Would you do me a favor? Would you put your hands together? Would you lift your voice? Would you give a sacrifice of praise? It may be uncomfortable. It may be out of your, your, your realm of the norm. But would you just give God praise? Would you exalt the name of Jesus? Would you lift his name high? Because he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the Lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world. He is the one who was and is and is to come amen hallelujah praise God hallelujah hallelujah bless the name of Jesus we exalt you God we worship you Lord for you are worthy you are worthy of praise you are worthy of glory you are worthy of honor you are worthy of power we bless you Lord we honor you We magnify the name of Jesus, hallelujah, hallelujah, Lord, Lord, you are good, hallelujah, amen, praise God, how many of you know that he's good, amen, how many of you have experienced his goodness this week, amen, praise God, I know things are going around, I'd have you hug somebody right now, why don't you look at somebody and just give them a, I mean hug them with your eyes, hug them with your countenance. (laughs) <laughs> if you're comfortable hugging, I, 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 don't, I don't have any problems with that. Amen. You know you can make somebody feel loved by the way you look at them. Thank you, Jessica. Praise God. Praise God. So I'm going to go right into the word of the Lord this morning. We're going to do some baptisms here at the end of the service. So Lean will be back with, uh, with our announcements. But I want to get right into the scriptures, And before I actually get to our text today, so we're in a, we're in a series. We're, we're preaching on Philippians. And uh, we started last week in Philippians chapter one, verses one and two. We'll be there again today. We'll be there again. I'm going to preach another message just out of those two, two verses. So today we're going to talk about uh, saints, bishops and deacons. I, I've got another, another message coming. Actually, it'll be two weeks from today. I'm going to preach a, a message about grace and peace. And uh, next Sunday, we're going to have one of our own speaking to us. And I, I, I hope to do this. I hope to build this into our church, that we raise up an army of preachers. Amen. And we, we have a young man who is already a very capable preacher. He's, he's been a pastor. He's been a missionary in Mexico for 12 years. Next Sunday, he's going to be sharing the word of the Lord with us. Amen. <laughs> I think some of y'all know who that is. His name is uh, Stephen Beatty. Amen. So he's he's actually I think in the he's making his way back up. He's a part of our worship team, but next Sunday he's going to be delivering the word. And I, I've been talking to him. He's been sharing some things out of Philippians. We, we we've been talking back and forth about this. I don't know exactly where he's going to go with it, but he has shared some phenomenal stuff with me in our conversations. Stephen and I have been meeting for a good while, actually for a year and a half, two years now. We've had lunch off, on and off. He's a man of the word. I, I've actually never heard Stephen preach. I haven't, I know. He's, he is a very accomplished, very, very seasoned speaker, preacher, and I've heard a lot of good things about it, but he's gonna be here to share this coming Sunday, a week from today, and I'm looking forward to that. In the meantime, you're stuck with me today. And, uh, So we're gonna we're gonna dive into Philippians. Before we do, I was uh, we we read through our, our 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 boys, my boys, our family. We read through uh, the, the Gospel of Luke in the month of December. We would get up. This is our practice. We're we're, we're trying to read every morning as a part of their school, their homeschool. And I'm reading through at least one chapter, sometimes two chapters in the Bible every morning with them. And we're talking about that. Sometimes they're groggy and don't want to participate. Other times they're really engaged and asking lots of questions. But nevertheless, the discipline of it has been good. It's been good in our home. We've been doing it uh, this, this school year. So we've been through Genesis, we've been through Luke, and now we're starting the book of Acts. We've already started that reading. But as I was reading through uh, Luke chapter 24, uh, right before Christmas, this, a couple of verses there just stuck out to me. Um, and, and this is um, some of the men who had followed Jesus this is right after the crucifixion. Now Jesus has resurrected, and they're unaware of this, but they're they're walking with, with Jesus, and don't even know it. And um, they're they're on a seven mile journey from Jerusalem uh, to Emmaus, and here, here's a little bit of an exchange that goes on. Jesus says to them, "You you foolish ones, why why foolish? Be- because they don't recognize the purpose of God, in, in the death, burial, and resurrection. You know that was foretold. We we know that now." And we can go through and we can read the Old Testament, we can understand, you know, like uh, Psalm 22, where it's, it, it talks about the agony on the cross, or these different passages about the suffering of Messiah, and that, that was speaking of the cross, the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ. We know that, but the, the people of, of Israel were really looking for Jesus to come and set up his kingdom in that moment. They thought he was going to establish his kingdom. And so the, the cross kind of took them by, by surprise. They didn't understand that. They, they'd missed that. And even though Jesus tried to explain that to his disciples, they weren't hearing. How many of you know sometimes something can, can be communicated, but it's not always heard? That's what was happening with his disciples. And so he's talking to some, some guys who I think at least had been, it, it, probably not a part of the inner circle, but at least the, the greater crowd that had followed Jesus. And, and he says to them, O foolish ones, how slow of heart to, to believe in all the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things? And to enter into his glory. And then it says this. It says, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So I believe Jesus here began to explain the things that we, as, as New Testament believers of the gospel, understand about the Old Testament scriptures. That those things were written about him. He began to preach from those scriptures the fact that he had to go and suffer. He had to die and he had to resurrect in order for the purpose of God to be fulfilled. So, uh, the the greater point that I really want to get across is this: is that Jesus went to the Old Testament scriptures, and we see this. This is this is a pattern. We see this all throughout Scripture that uh, it, it says this over and over and over again that the Scriptures are the revelation of Jesus. They reveal to us Christ. He goes back to those Old Testament scriptures, and he preaches the things concerning himself. Again, we see it in verse uh, 24. It says he he says. Uh, Jesus says, uh, when when I was with you before, I told you everything that was written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms, and that they must be fulfilled. So, uh, again here, so when it talks about the law of Moses, that's talking about the first five books of the Bible, what's known as the Pentateuch, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's known as the law, the law of Moses or the Pentateuch, right? And then, and then he talks about the prophets, right? So th- that would be all the major prophets, the minor prophets, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, the, the minor prophets, Habakkuk, etc. That, so he, he's covering all the bases. And then the Psalms, and those are the, the, what we would call the poetic books, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. And this was what comprised the, the Jewish scriptures. And by the way, that was the only Bible that the New Testament church had. They did not have the canon of scripture that we had. They didn't have Philippians at that point. They didn't have the book of Romans, Corinthians. They, they didn't have all of the gospels. They didn't have Revelation. They didn't have the book of Acts. It was, it was happening. And, and um, I, I believe, that we, we do, as a New Testament church, we believe now that those are canonized scriptures, that God breathed those, those letters, those gospels, to the church so that we would have scripture for our learning and for our understanding that would reveal as the Old Testament scriptures do reveal Christ to us, I just want to make that point. We're we're coming to a place. I'm trying to push this as a, and I'm I'm seeing this around the body of Christ, a fidelity to Scripture. Uh, so some of my friends are going from the going through the solos, the uh, you know some of the Old Church doctrine, uh, solo gracia, solo grace, solo Christo, only 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 Christ, solo Scriptura is one of those. And it's, it's about a faithful, uh, faithfulness to the Scripture. We, we really need to come back to a faithfulness to the Scriptures. There are a lot of things that are out of sorts in the church, out of balance, dysfunctional in the church. And the reason is we, we don't know our Bibles. That's right. Right? We're, we're biblically illiterate. Sometimes in the leadership of churches, they're, they're biblically illiterate. They're leading people astray. But for the most part, the body of Christ is biblically illiterate. We are not well-grounded in the Bible. We are not well-studied in Scripture. And we should be, all of us should be grounded in scripture. And so I'm, as a pastor, pushing that. If if you're new to us, uh, end of the year, I I preached a whole series about the Word of God, the importance of the Word of God to us as believers. I'd encourage you to go back in the archives and, and listen to some of that. We're studying the scripture. And so we're doing something that I, I don't know, Pastor Bull may have done this before I got here, but this is the first time I've ever done it here at Return, which is going through an entire book on a Sunday morning, doing expository preaching, verse by verse, of, of that book. I'm, I'm not going to be alone in this. Pastor Bill is going to be preaching soon. Rachel is going to come and share a message in February, and uh, so we're going to, but we're going to be focused on the book of Philippians. You will get a grasp on this epistle. You'll understand why this letter was written. All of the teaching, all the doctrine that's in it is going to be expounded, and uh, we're, I, I believe we're going to grow as a church as a result. The Word of God makes us fruitful. It does, and so Philippians chapter 1, that was my introduction. Long introductions don't always mean long messages, just so everybody can breathe. Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, Paul and Timothy bond servants, and we looked at that one word, bond servants, last week, the, the slaves of Christ, the servants of, of, of Jesus Christ. Who is it written to? To all of the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and the deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So, we're working through this. We've talked about that word slave last week, the word bondservant there, doulos, and that that's what we are called to be. That Paul, a great apostle, have projected he could have called himself an apostle he could have called him hey i remember i'm the one that planted this church i'm the one that started this so you should listen to me he he didn't take that approach he said paul a servant to the saints and to the bishops and deacons at philippi so that's who this letter is addressed to and then grace and peace the salutation and those are not meaningless words we're going to look at that here two weeks from today, uh, why, why that sol- salutation was so often used. There, there's power in that, there's, there's purpose in that. It's not just some random nice words that sound, sounded good, like, hey, bless you. I mean, like just we randomly pull these things out, God bless you. You know, we send texts, and we randomly insert these kind of kind salutations, and really, sometimes there's not a lot of thought behind it. But these were purposeful greetings, and we're gonna look at that here in a, in a couple weeks. So let, let's look at this. We're gonna, we're gonna study today's saints, bishops, deacons. May, may sound a little dry, may sound boring, but th- there's, there's good doctrine here. There's a lot of meat here, and it will do us well as we understand how we relate in the body of Christ. I think that's important. A lot of people don't understand how to properly relate to each other in the body of Christ. So I'm going to start with this word, saints. This word is used at least 60 times in, in the New Testament. It's one of Paul's favorite terms for the believers for the followers of Jesus Christ. we use our, our, our favorite term is probably that we are Christians, right? But Paul addressed the people of God as saints. Now, I think in our culture, there can be a connotation. We, we talk about saints of some elite people who have gone before us. They're, they're dead, they're venerated, and that's actually in the Catholic Church. I think that's a requirement that they are dead. And I think it's also a a, a requirement to be a saint in the Catholic Church that you have performed at least two miracles. What they would call miracles. And so because of that doctrine and what's come through the lines of the Catholic Church, I think a lot of times that's permeated our American church culture. And we tend to think of the saints as those who have gone on. And many saints have indeed gone on. But saints is actually a common term for all believers not mortally dead, but dead in Christ, right? So if you are dead in Christ, if you've been buried with him, and if you have resurrected with him into the newness of life, you are a saint of God. If you are truly a believer of Jesus Christ, if you have really received salvation, you are a saint, Amen. period. You don't become a saint because you perform miracles, you perform miracles because you are a saint. Right? These signs shall follow them that believe. If you are a follower of Jesus, then you are a saint. This is not a designation for the dead, it's not a designation for the, the venerated, it's not uh, some kind of designation for those who are special miracle workers. This is the term used all throughout scripture consistently. If, if your idea is that you have to be dead venerated, acknowledged by some council of a church in order to be a saint, then your understanding is not based in Scripture and what the Bible teaches. The Bible calls all of us as believers saints. If you are born again, if you are saved, if you're full of the Spirit of God, you are a saint. All right? Look at your neighbor and say, howdy, saint. We are the saints of God. Amen? Amen and i I believe this our highest calling is to be a saint of god my highest calling is not to be the pastor of return church my highest calling none of us in this building our, our highest callings are not to be apostles or teachers or prophets. I I, I knew a gentleman who who said when he got to heaven that the Holy Spirit had spoken to him and when he got to heaven, he was gonna be one of the lead teachers in heaven. All righty then. Hopefully I don't get in that class. (laughs) No, our, our highest calling Is not some office or some position in the church. Our highest calling is simply our position in Jesus. Amen? Amen. Our high calling is, is not to be somebody special. It's simply to be a child of God, to be a saint of the Most High God. And I want to live like a saint. Amen? I want to strive to please God and to represent Him well. That's my highest calling, our highest calling. My highest calling is not to be a preacher, to be a prophet, to speak to the nations. My highest call is simply to be a man of God, to be a saint and a child of the living God. That's our highest call, amen? I believe Paul kind of uses this again in Philippians chapter three, or not, not, not the word saint, but, but I believe there's a, a, a great description of what the saints are. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit. This is Philippians 3.3. 3 who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ, and have no confidence in the flesh. If that's you, if you're of the circumcision, not, not the circumcision made by hands, but the circumcision made by the spirit of God, if your heart has been circumcised and changed and transformed, and you worship God in spirit, you rejoice in Christ Jesus, and you have no confidence in your flesh, you're a saint of God. Amen? I think we need to understand that. We are saints. We are the children of God. God loves us. Amen? Yes. We need to understand that, and we need to live accordingly. Okay, so that's, that's point number one, saints. So the letter is addressed first and specifically to the saints. And then he says, with the bishops and deacons. He brings the leadership of the church into this equation. Why? Because Paul is about to do surgically do some work through this letter to try to bring some healing and restoration to this body that is really suffering from a lot of dysfunction, division, and disunity. And he surgically writes this letter. We talked about the reason that he, he wrote the letter last week is because there was a division. He specifically speaks of two women who were caught up in some kind of conflict and he tells them to be of the same mind, Yodi and Syntyche in chapter four. And then all through this book, he keeps referring to serving and being a servant. He gives a revelation of Jesus as the servant. So he is, and, and Paul is, is brilliant and he was used by God in a mighty way. He, he is surgically moving, trying through this letter to move the mindset of this church who has gotten so caught up in their own agenda, and he, he is communicating them to put that agenda, lay that down, lay your divisions down. And so a, a part of this he, pr- procedure, he makes mention of the bishops and deacons. Why? The authority of the church is important. There's one, one deficit that we have in the church, one great deficit that we have in the church. We, we have really, I mean, we're, we're impoverished in this area if you look at the American church. Church discipline. We can't, Americans, we can't stand discipline. And it is a vital part of our walk with Jesus. Accountability covering, submission, and so he introduces these terms of bishop and deacon. He's interjecting, hey, there, there is some authority that has been set in your church, and I'm going to acknowledge that. I, 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 want, I want to bring your attention to it. We, we, we need to bring our attention to authority, and I talked a little bit about this last week, that authority is not to dominate, we're not to, our leadership is never to be domineering, we're not to, to bind people by constriction and force people to walk after, that's not, we, we are to be examples first, and then through, through love and through discipline, help people to grow in their walk with Jesus. And discipline is essential in that. I thank God, I've learned to thank, the Bible says that, that a wise man loves correction, I haven't always, and I don't, I still don't, I don't always love correction. I have to work through, sometimes it takes a week or two to work my attitude over to the place where you say, I can say, you know what, I, and Pastor Bill, I don't think that Pastor Bill's ever disciplined me or corrected me or anything like that, but if, if he did, I'd, it would probably take me a minute to say, Pastor Bill, thank you, I love you for doing that. that that's not always easy to do, is it? Yeah, I mean, like when your parents spank you, It's not easy. To say thanks, Dad, for that whipping, right? But if you read through the Proverbs, it teaches us to love correction, to seek it out, right? Have you ever said to anybody, "You have permission to correct me"? I, I have literally said that to some men of God in my life. You, you—if you see things that are out of order, I trust you enough that if you see, I'm a, I'm a pastor. I still need covering. If you see stuff in my life that's out of order, you have the authority to speak into my life. Please be nice. Don't leave a mark, right? But correct me, right? I don't want to walk in ways that are detrimental. I don't want to walk in the way of destruction. If if something in my life is causing harm, speak to it. Speak to it. Let me ask you a question. Who has the authority to sit down on you? In other words, when you're acting like an idiot, excuse me, camera guys, I'm sorry, I'm walking off camera, but if, if Scott's acting crazy, let me just say, hey, Scott, sit right here before you hurt yourself. Let's have a talk. You're, you're walking in this way. No, sit here and stop for a minute. Stay right here for a little bit and think this through. Who in your life has the authority to do that? I heard one preacher say this, who, who has a shut up card in your life? Just, and I don't want to be rude to Scott, but Scott, shut up, you're talking crazy. I mean, do, do, we, do we love somebody enough to do that to somebody? And, and not to do it in, in arrogance, to whip somebody, but there, there's love in that. We need to understand that. We need to embrace that. We, and, and, and I mean, these things are foreign to us, honestly. They're foreign to us in church culture, but if you look at the scriptures, the scriptures are full of rebukes. The scriptures are full of correction. The scripture teaches that God corrects us because he loves us, and sometimes he does that through his vessels. Sometimes a pastor, sometimes a loved one. They don't have to have a position sometimes. Sometimes a brother and sister in Christ. There's times when I've had a position, and somebody who didn't have a position has come and spoken to me, and it's changed my life. You don't have to have a... The Bible says submit yourselves one to another. That doesn't mean I'm going to open myself up for abuse and let everybody come and trample on me and criticize every aspect of their life that they, they don't like, they don't agree with. I'm not going to open myself for that. But I'll open myself to somebody who loves me and wants to approach it right, wants to deal with an issue. So, so discipline. So I, I, I believe that there's, there's an insert of this authority of the church in this letter because Paul's kind of reminding them, hey, let, let's get this thing back in order. Okay? So let's look at this. What, what, what are the offices here that he, he addresses? Bishops and deacons. Look, let's look at this. Bishops, episcopos. This is an overseer, a man charged with the duty of seeing that things uh, that the things to be done by others are done rightly, a curator, a guardian, a superintendent, an elder, or overseer of a Christian church. So that's historically looking at the def- definition of this word that, that's uh, translated here, and it is a translation. There's a difference between translations and transliteration. This word is translated from bishop to, or from episkopos to bishop, from the Greek to the English, and so this. Word "episcopos" has that kind of cultural connotation. This word is used all throughout Scripture. How many of you recognize that we don't see the word "pastor" often in the New Testament? I think it's only once, if, I'm, if my memory serves correct. In Ephesians chapter 4, he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. It's the only time that we ever see that word in our English translations, in, in most English translations. The word they're translated pastor is episkopos. Throughout scripture, episkopos in the New Testament, it's translated as pastor, an elder, or a bishop. You might say an overseer. That's the, the, the connotation here. So whenever you're reading the word elder or bishop in the scriptures, it's this word episkopos. All right? Uh, Titus actually gives us an. we'll cover this in just a minute. Titus gives a very clear understanding of what a a bishop should look like. In Titus chapter one, we're gonna come back to verse five in a minute, but let's look at verse six. If a man is blameless, this this is what a bishop looks like. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination, For a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, not hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word. That's key there, especially to what we have been studying, as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort, and convict those who contradict. So there's, I think, a really, really great definition of what a bishop should look like. This is, an, this is a role of oversight. It, it, it's a role of leadership in the church. So right now we, we have uh, a couple pastors in our church that are established. Pastor Bill actually founded the church. I was brought in, for those of you who may not know, I, I was brought in about a year and a half ago, started as an associate pastor for about six months, was in that role and transitioned to lead pastor after that six month, month period. Pastor Bill, still here, we still call him Pastor Bill. He'll, he's, he serves in a lot of capacities. He, he does ministry counseling, uh, outreach ministry, he preaches, you name it, he, he's involved. We're, we're going to expand that. We've actually been working on that for a year. We're gonna expand that. We're, we're gonna develop more leadership, more oversight in this church from an elder perspective, bishops overseers in this house who will have pastoral leadership responsibilities. We're, we're developing that already. We're, we're developing that through some discipleship things and then some very pointed uh, relationship that we have with some certain men in this congregation. We're gonna develop a plurality of elders. Why? Because that's biblical. Do you know that? Most of us in our American culture are used to a long ra- Lone Ranger mentality when it comes to spiritual leadership in the church. There's one man at the head of the church you know, first church down the road, and there's one pastor, he's been there for 48 years, he's called all the shots, and that's what we think of spiritual leadership in an American connotation. The, these, these words, words bishop, they, they seem bishop and deacon, saints. Christians, sadly, aren't well acquainted with these words. We know terms like pastor, we know terms like worship leader, we know terms like youth pastor. But we don't, have, we don't use a lot of the biblical terminology and operate with a lot of the biblical roles that we see in Scripture. Now, there's, there's a great move. A lot of young men of God are actually moving to, to remedy that, to see healthy leadership set up in churches, to see church leadership come to a place of health and strength, to represent more accurately what we see, the model in Scripture. I think that's important. I don't think we should make up what the church leaders, I think God's given us a blueprint, I think he's given us a plan, and it should look like what we see in the scriptures. Not just like what we've dreamed up, I feel like we should go this way, and a lot of times we'll blame that on the Holy Spirit. But why would the Holy Spirit lead us to go in a way the contrary that God has shown us? God's given us, I think, a great model. So let's, that, that's a little bit on bishops, we'll, we, we'll, we'll come back in just a second see a little bit more on that, but deacons, let's, let's look at this. I want to look at Romans. Well, I'll give you a definition of a deacon here in just a second, but Romans 16. Pastor Chad, what do you think about women in the church? Go go read Romans 16. I forgot the exact number. There's like 18 or 19 names that Paul greets. I think 13 or 15 of those names. I can't remember the exact numbers, but the greater majority of those names are actually female. The greater name of those names were female, and those were the people that Paul says was, they were serving with him in the church. They were involved in the work of ministry. So if you wanna know my opinion, I like what the scripture says about women in ministry. I'll align it there. Not what culture says, not what the church down the road says. What does the Bible show us? I think that's where we need to stick, amen? amen? If you're a woman, we welcome your service, in your leadership, in the house of God. Because we see it all throughout scripture. You are an equal, you're not a subordinate. Some some church cultures, women are subordinates, they're less than, Hey, we are are all equal in Jesus. We need to understand that, that's that's very clear. That's very clear, it's clear in the scriptures, we need to see that and understand that. Uh, Romans 16 verse one, if I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant, there's the word servant, but that, that word there is not dulos, like we looked at last week. That, that word there is, uh, uh, what's, let's see, diakonos. I want to make sure I, I get that right. Diakonos. I commend to you our sister uh, Phoebe, who is a diakoness, a deacon of the church in Synchrea, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints. I'm going to read this in another translation, and I want that to stand out to you. Receive her in a manner worthy of the saints, a sister in whatever business she has need of you, for indeed she has been a helper of many, and also of myself. Let's look at that in the New Living Translation. He says, I command to you our sister, Phoebe, who is a deacon in the church in Sincrea. Welcome her in the Lord." as one who is worthy of honor among God's people. Help her, did you see that? I almost skipped over it. But welcome her as one who is worthy of honor among God's people. The the New King James used that word, saints. Help her in whatever she needs, for she has been helpful to many, and especially to me. So he acknowledges this gal named Phoebe, as a deacon of the church in Sankhria. What does that word deacon mean? Theokonos in the Greek is one who executes the commands of another, especially of a master, a servant, attendant, minister. Another definition would be the servant of a king. Another definition, a deacon, one who by virtue of the office assigned to him by the church cares for the poor and has charge of us and distributes the money collected for their use. Another definition: a waiter or one who serves food and drink. We're gonna look at this in just a second about how this role of deacon actually came about. We're gonna visit that here in just a second. Acts chapter 6. So we're gonna dive a little bit here in just a second further into this idea of bishops and deacons. But and this is this is homework. See, how many of you brought your Bible? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Revival! <laughs> I love it. Thank you. Bring your Bible. Bring your notebook. Bring your highlighters. Let's get in the Word and study. Let's dig. So here's homework. If you want to see the qualifications, there's a great list of qualifications for a bishop and for a deacon. Qualifications for bishops are in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Qualifications for bishops, 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. And the the following verses, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8 through 13, gives very clear qualifications of what a deacon should be. We're going to be pretty stringent, 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 there we go, stringent. When we bring people into leadership, the Bible talks about not laying hands on people suddenly, not putting novices into positions that they're not ready for. There's, there's clear instruction. My pastor said it this way. Pick your captains carefully. We've got to be careful who we exalt. We've got to be careful who we raise up in the church. We're going to spend time with them. The Bible says that we should know those who labor amongst us. These are, these are biblical principles. I, I, I have bent these principles as a young pastor, and that burns I've learned when you cut corners and you put somebody in a position just because you like them, ouch, it can come back and bite you. Men need to be proven in the leadership of the church. Paul actually uses that terminology in this letter, in Philippians. He says, I'm sending to you Timothy, who is a man of proven character. That's important. And we kind of have this idol. I don't have to prove myself to anybody. I only answer to God. That, that is a fool's, I'm just, I don't mean to assault anybody, or, but that is a fool's statement. It does not line up with Scripture. All of us, no matter what position or whatever we hold in the church, are accountable to the authority of the church. The Scripture teaches us, as leaders, to be subject to the authority of the church as saints of God, as children of God, to be subject to the saints of the, uh, the, the leadership of the church. And I'll, I'll go even better than that. We are, the Bible says we are to be subject one to another. In other words, there needs to be healthy accountability in our relationships as believers. But boy, do we shun that. But it's healthy. It's life-giving. The thing, and it, my wife will tell you this. First of all, she'll tell you I'm not imperfect. Don't say amen too loud. She'll tell you I'm not perfect. I don't have it all together. But she'll also tell you this, I'm not the same man that she married 20 years ago. I've grown in my walk with Christ. I've grown in my character. I've grown in my leadership. And one of the biggest contributing factors to that is that I have put myself under the authority of the church. I have submitted my life to men of God. I've allowed God and not always (laughs) willingly Sometimes reluctantly, sometimes angrily. It's upset me. The first time my pastor ever really corrected me. I mean, like really, and and listen, my my youth pastor taught me the love sandwich. So when I correct, I try to love, correct, that's the meat. You know, a slice of love, the meat of discipline, and another slice of love. That's the love sandwich. Love them, discipline them, love them again, and hopefully it all works out well. That's, my, my youth pastor taught me that. But my pastor had never heard of the love sandwich. My pastor's correction was 100% beef. (laughs) You're wrong, sort it out. Get your life together. Do it fast. And it was upsetting. I was mad for six weeks, or months maybe. But after boom, 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 running against the wall and realizing, you know what, that does hurt, he's right. I need to turn this thing around. I need to change course. I need to change the direction of my life. This hurts, I'm tired of it. He was right. And as I've gone, sometimes, like I, I talked about it earlier, it's not always easy to receive it, but you've got to learn to love it, to embrace it, to seek it out, because it will build your life. All right, why, why are these leadership structures important in the church? Why, why do we have these roles? Why did God set men? And when we talk about the hand of God in Peter, s- humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, if you look at that, it has the connotation of the delegated authority of God on planet Earth. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and in due season, God will exalt you. Humble yourself under the leadership God has established in your life, and in due time, God will exalt you. How did I become a pastor? I humbled myself the authority of the local church where I grew up. My pastor trained me, he equipped me, and then he began to open the doors and give me the opportunities, putting me up on his own platform to take an offering. It started simple, take an offering or to exhort the church. Then slowly, teach a class, and then preach to the congregation. And when I proved that I could handle those things and do those things well, then he began to open the doors with his friends. Hey, this is is my, my nephew, he's a young preacher, he's doing a great job in our church, he'd be a blessing to your church. I humbled myself under the authority that God had put in my life, and God raised me through that. That's biblical principle. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and in due season, God will exalt you. Why are these leadership roles important in the church? Uh, I want to give you a couple of examples. Titus who is a leader in the church at Crete. I think he was the head elder at the church of Crete. Paul writes to him in, in verse 5. So we read 6 through 9, I think it was, a minute ago, which are the qualifications of a, of a, a bishop. But he says, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking, and to appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. So th- these, these roles are important in the church. He said, I, I sent you, Titus, to raise up elders in every city. See, so the churches, like, there, there'd be a, if we did it the way Bible times did it, we would, it wouldn't be like, you know, first church of this and this church and return church, it would be the church of Clarksville. That's the way they did church. Everybody in the community would come together. They appointed elders in leadership and leadership, and he tells them, I want you to raise up elders, and there's plurality there, raise up elders in every city. Why? To bring order, right? He says, this reason I left you in Crete that you should set in order the things that are lacking. Appoint elders in every city. And then he gives the requirements of what an elder should look like, what a bishop should look like. Why do we have this leadership? It brings order and health to the church. How many of you know that anything that is healthy has order? That's right. When the cells of your body get out of their proper function, it's called cancer. And your body literally it eats itself, destroys itself. Why do former farmers plant in rows? The order makes them more fruitful. They understood that. The Indians understood that long before we ever got here. It made them more fruitful. greater Greater harvest because of the order. Jesus, the greatest miracle of multiplication in the Scripture. Remember that? The feeding of the multitudes fish and loaves, just in one basket, and he fed the multitude of thousands of men and women. You know what Jesus did before he did that? He told the disciples, have the people sit in order, in groups of 50 and 100. God was showing us in that that there is fruitfulness in order. Order in God's body makes us fruitful. Order in the house of the Lord makes us more fruitful. When we are aligned in order, we are healthier, all right? Just another quick example of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, for this reason, I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son and the Lord, who will remind you of the ways of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every city. So in other words, he says to this Corinthian church, who is I- extremely dysfunctional. We're going to look at that in just a second. But he says to them, I'm sending Timothy to you to set things in order the way that I've instructed in all the other churches in all the other cities. Teach the things that I've taught in all the other cities where we've planted churches. right? He he wants Timothy to come and set order. He does something similar in the second chapter. We're going to get to this. But in the second chapter of Philippians, he tells that church of Philippi, I'm sending Timothy to you. And I think it's for the same purpose, for leadership, to help to bring order to this ailing body that's divided and dysfunctional. The church at, at, at Corinthians Paul writes to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 40. He says, let all things be done decently and in order. When you study the church at Corinth, we actually had a class at Bible college about the church at Corinth. We studied First and Second Corinthians in. Whole semester devoted to it. When you study that church, it was a very, very dysfunctional church. There was no organized leadership. They, every man was trying to, one, one is of Paul and one is of Apollos, and they, they were all trying to follow these different leaders. Sex had developed in the church. Divisions. Right? There, there should be no divisions amongst you, he would say. Is Christ divided? Then why are you divided? Right? And then the the, the, the the operations of the gifts. He talks, he says, one of you is trying to prophesy over here. One of you is trying to take an offering. One of you is trying to lead a chorus. One of you is trying to preach all at the same time, and it's confusion. Order. So he, he says, hey, let everything be done decently and in order. So coming back to Philippi, there's like Corinth, there's dissension, there's disunity, there's discord, there's infighting. He, he mentions these women directly, Yodia and Syntyche, and he said, I, I want them to cut it out. Make amends. Bring an end to your division. Bring an end to your infighting. Come together and work it out. This is not a good thing. We need order. I, I believe this is why, specifically, as Paul is writing this letter to Philippi, everything is done with purpose. I don't believe there's a word in the Bible without purpose. In our English language, we can do without some of the these and ands in our English translations, but when you look at the Hebrew and the Greek, it is precise. Every word is orchestrated and masterfully put together for purpose. Why did Paul address deacons, bishops, deacons, Specifically, start with them as saints, reminding them that they're the children of God and reminding them that there is a structure of authority in that local church. He was purposeful, masterful, I believe, in doing so. All right, so I'm gonna land the plane here. I'm gonna wrap this up. Some of you are like, thank the Lord. Deacons and bishops, who cares? This is, don't, please. Doctrine matters, people. The Word of God, the instruction of Scripture matters. It's the most important thing to us. We can't, I, I, we can't continue to go on and blame it on the Holy Spirit in dysfunction and disorder. God's got a plan. I want to work it out. So here we go. Land in the plane. We, we did a whole series on preaching the word. The last word of uh, last year, we, we preached out of Acts chapter four, where they were forbidden to preach the word. Do you remember that? They were forbidden. And what did they do? They went and they prayed for boldness. Lord, give us boldness so that despite their threatenings, we can preach the gospel, that we can preach your word. They kept preaching in spite of the threats. You want to see the result of that? Look at the very next chapter, Acts chapter 5, verse 28. Acts chapter 5, verse 28. Man, I love to hear the sound of those pages turning. Music to my ears. Make a mark in your Bible by this verse. Acts chapter 5, verse 28, it it says this Did we not strictly command you? And this is the council that had in in Acts chapter 4 commanded them not to teach in the name of Jesus anymore, not to preach that word anymore. Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. And intend to bring this man's blood on us. Church, that's what's happened when we get bold about preaching the word of God. Amen. The doctrine, let the doctrine about Jesus, Christ's doctrine, permeate southern Indiana. And Louisville. And Indiana. as Scott likes to call it. First time I showed up here, I said to Scott, I said, man, I really enjoy being in Kentucky No, he said, no, 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 it's Indiucky. <laughs> He's a Hoosier if you didn't know. Yeah. May the word of God permeate because of the boldness of the saints of God. Despite the threats of the school district, Elaine was sharing a testimony about a woman who she said she's got a folder in the office already. I mean, in other words, she's been marked up by the school administration, but she's boldly on campus declaring the word of God right now. Praise God. Praise God. If if we would go and do that, it would permeate our culture. The doctrine of Christ would spread about. Amen? That's what's happened. And you know what the result of that was? You know what happens when, when we grow? Messes right? If we had 300 people show up next Sunday because we're growing, it would be messy. I remember one time when I was pastoring in Texas, we were, we were, we were in the beginning of a church plant phase. We had this little cafetorium that we had rented, and we'd been meeting for, for a few months, and we would have, I don't know, 15, 20 people, sometimes a really good Sunday, 30, 35 people would show up, I and mean, we're just trying to get this thing off the ground. We're new. I show up one Sunday morning, we hauled all of our equipment in the back of a truck, and set up our speakers, our PA system. So I showed up, all that truck loaded down with all that stuff, I show up in the parking lot and the parking lot is bumper to bumper cars. I thought, oh my goodness, I'm not ready for this. I went in to set the equipment to find out that there was a basketball tournament in the gym. You see, sometimes when you grow, you're not prepared for it. And that, that was the result. Acts chapter 4, they're commanded not to speak. They, they continue to do it anyway. Acts chapter 5, it says that their whole doctrine had, had filled Jerusalem. You know what the result of that was? Let's read Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Now in those days the number of the disciples were multiplying, and there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. The twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out among you seven, seven, that's a number of completion, men of good good reputation, look at the requirements here, good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer, to the ministry of the word, and to saying, please the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, Philip and uh, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. This is a presbytery, and this is, this is important. We're gonna, we're, we will see in the, the course of our church presbytery. We will lay hands on ministers and set them into this house. It's a healthy biblical practice. Remember, Paul talks to Timothy about the gift that was put in him by the laying on of hands, by the presbytery, right? It's, a, it's an important part of our ordination, of, of, of our uh, installation into the ministry of the local church. So they, they prayed, they laid hands on them. Then look what, this is the result. The word of God spread and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem And a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. The the passage that I just read to you is the beginning of this leadership in the church, of bishops and deacons. This is God's plan for the church. This is God's design for the church. That the church would be led by bishops and deacons, men appointed by the Holy Spirit. They prayed and the Holy Spirit showed them, those seven men, revealed to them. There were requirements, a good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit. What was, was the last one, um, it's slipping my mind right now, a wisdom, right? They needed to have a good reputation. They needed to be full of the Holy Spirit. They needed to have wisdom. So these two roles begin to move forward through Scripture. We'll see it all the rest of the way through the book of Acts. Why why did this come about? Like I said, there was growth, right? The doctrine of of Jesus was spreading all over Jerusalem. The, The verse there at the beginning of that chapter, the disciples were multiplying. What was the result of that? There was some dysfunction. Sometimes it's hard to keep up with that growth. They were growing so fast, they could not keep up with the administration of, of the portions. What that is, food distribution. These were, these were Hellenist Greek believers in Jerusalem who were widows, believed to be widows, and the church was doing what the Old Testament pattern was to provide for the widows. They weren't able to keep up with it. Because there were these Grecian proselytes were were multiplying, they couldn't keep up with the ministry, and so the bishops, the apostles, the elders of that church, what did they do? The Holy Spirit spoke to them and said, "We're going to establish some deacons here," and that's what they did. This is a growing church. Some dysfunction; they weren't able to keep up with everything. Growing pains, you got to run to keep up. you got to put in new systems. you got to be able to, how are we going to take care of widows? How are we going to take care of the youth? How are we going to take care of the worship, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's challenges. When you're growing, there's challenges. The deacons were raised up to help meet those needs so that the elders of the church could continue to study the word of God, commit themselves to the study and teaching of God's word and prayer. That's what those men of God did. I think that's important. The ministry of the word of God, important to the church. The prayer life of the church, important. I'll be honest with you. I do too much administrative things. As a pastor right now, I do it. It's just part of the role. We're small, small staff. I I do a whole lot more things as far as administration than I ever want to do. I'm doing it, and we're raising up leadership. That will change. One of my primary roles in years to come will be preaching and prayer. Because it's important. It's important to the life of the church. What was the result of this decision to set up this leadership? Last verse, we already read it, but I'll read it to you again. The word of God spread, the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of priests were obedient to the faith. That's the result. Order produces multiplication. We see it right here in Acts chapter six. They set order in the house of God. They establish leadership to take care of the ministry, and it produces more fruit. That's our goal. That's our aim. Amen. We've got to plug into it. Amen. I, there, there's a whole lot more I'd like to preach, but let me just wrap up with this statement uh, about authority in the church. This I, I don't know where this originated. I've heard it from hundred different men. It's not mine. I won't claim it, but there's this little phrase, and I love it. It says, you've got to get under what God put over you so you can get over what God put under you. You've got to get under what God put over you so you can get over what God put under you. There's some things on your back that should be under your feet, and the reason that you're bound by that monkey is because you've got rebellion in your spirit. order in the church, health and life. I want to be submitted. There's a reason I belong to the IMA. I want covering, simple. There's a reason we have a board that helps to keep me accountable as a leader. I don't know if this has to be known or not, but I don't have, I don't have access to the church checkbook. I don't have a credit card. I don't spend money for the church. If I, I rarely do, if I do, I'll turn in a receipt, it gets approved for refund. I rarely spend money for the church. I don't want that to ever be a blotch on my name, that he made some indiscriminate decisions with church finances. We have people that are, we have an authority structure that's set up. That protects me. That's covering. That's healthy. We all need that in our lives. Amen? If you agree, let's stand. If you don't, stay seated. (laughs) 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 All right. We're done today. Praise God.